just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully, your day is going well. It's Monday. We're starting out a new week, and this is going to be a fun week. You see, we have a trial starting today that's not going to make Donald Trump very happy. We'll talk more about that in a bit. Hey, how'd you like the show with Tony Michaels? Yeah, it's a bit of a departure. Tony's not a listener per se, and he's not Ed. He does have a podcast and other stuff, live streaming and all that stuff. So he was promoting that, and I'm cool with that. It was a departure and maybe breaks a rule or two of mine that I normally have for people being on the podcast. But as I've said many times before, this is my fucking podcast. I'll do whatever I want. No, seriously, with with, with Tony, I got to see him at first when I first started on TikTok, maybe two years ago. And I was intrigued by this kid. Yes, I know he's 37, but I'm 62. I have a kid that's 35. So in my mind, Tony Michaels is a kid. But I always thought he was very good at what he does. Uh, On TikTok, you may or may not have seen him when he first started. He would basically be walking down the street, uh, ranting about Donald Trump or the Republicans, swearing like a fucking sailor. And I thought, wow, wow. This guy does pretty well with putting together presentations, and he does it in public, and he doesn't give a shit. I looked at this kid, and I thought, well, you know, he's basically a younger me that talks louder and longer and swears more. So I thought, that's my kind of guy. And he reached out to me recently, and I said, well, yeah, come on the fucking podcast. Let's talk. I think people would be... um, interested to hear a different perspective and 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 where the interest for me in this was that he is a younger guy he's not a boomer he's a millennial for all intents and purposes and i thought hey we'll see what happens now tony tony has the same thing that i and even ed has and that's when we start talking the momentum kicks in and you keep talking <laughs> I do it, Tony does it, Ed does it to a certain extent. So at some point, you got to kind of balance that. But I thought Tony brought an interesting perspective, and I think he made some excellent points. And I don't know about you, but I learned some shit. I'm I'm not shy about saying I can learn from other people. I do all the time. All right, let's get to the business at hand. I have a bunch of emails to read. I don't even know how long this is going to take, but frankly, I'd much rather hear from you than hear from me. First one comes from, uh, who is this coming from here? Uh, Paige. Paige has written before. Thank you, Paige. It says, hi, Mike. Just a note to say I really enjoyed the episode with Ed today. I love the episodes with Ed. He and I have kind of a rapport. We know how each other works, and it always works out very easily and very well. You both always compliment one another so well, and I liked when Ed spoke up and said, you may want to care about England's politics, and I tend to think like Ed. We're not alone in turmoil. Canada and Australia also have a great deal of divide in the exact same manner as the U.S. and England. I know just following our own politics is beyond exhausting, but why I've taken notice is because the divide and the discourse sown had their roots similar, both in timing and actors. Now, what she's talking about, Ed brought up this whole thing with this lady, Truss, who was a prime minister, and after six weeks, she quits, and now they're going to put somebody else in there after Boris Johnson quit, and... uh, he brought it up, and I said, honestly, Ed, we got so much shit going on in this country, I really don't give a fuck what's happening in England. And uh, he straightened me out, told me why I should care. And I get it, and like I say, I'm happy to learn from other people. And Paige here is just reminding me of that fact. Thanks, Paige. 
It is both fascinating and disgusting how much Bannon, Trump, and others here in the States have influence on others in Europe and alike, Page says. She says, I'm attaching a four-minute video regarding Jacob Rees-Mogg, who trusts put in her cabinet before resigning. The video summarizes his involvement and influences, including with Bannon and Russia Oil. He is making headlines again as he's trying to put Boris Johnson back in place. Well, we found out yesterday that Boris is not going to attempt to be put back in place. What a mess the world stage has become with the organized crime, power, and greed. It comes down to the other reason I love the pod with Ed. Corporate greed and influence is at the heart of everything happening. Heck, we just learned even Alex Jones purposely continued to lie because of greed as he saw big spikes in profits on the days he spoke of uh, Sandy Hook. I hope Katie Porter continues to make this point here in America as she has in the banking and pharmaceutical businesses. I would vote for her in a heartbeat. I love Jamie Raskin, too, and I concur. Both those two would be excellent presidents someday in the future. She says, ironically, I'm not a fan of Grassley, especially since January 6th, but I'm grateful that he and Elizabeth Warren worked together as Congress should be across the aisle and their work together saw that last Monday with the FDA finally approving hearing aids um, that they now can be sold over the counter. My daughter's insurance has covered hers. However, my Medicare has not for me. I now see them in my future in 2023. I always look for some silver linings, and access to hearing aids is another one of those during the Biden administration. And I got to be honest with you, I always thought this hearing aid thing was ridiculous. I mean, all they're really doing is amplifying in your ear so you can hear better. I'm not a doctor, so I don't know all the facts. But... (laughs) It was always a ridiculous price for hearing aids, and it didn't seem like it necessarily had to be. It turns out it didn't. And I agree with you, Paige. I'm on board with that. My wife says I should get a hearing aid. She does. She says I can't hear all the time. And I don't know if it's about hearing as much as about my listening. (laughs) Maybe I'm a little selective in my listening. But she always goes back, well, you've been in radio, you had a recording studio, 40 years you're doing this, the whole time you have headsets on, it had to do something to your ears. And frankly, it probably did. Uh, As I do these podcasts, I don't wear a headset. And it's working out all right. But yeah, you know, I'm 62, probably should get my ears checked. The next email... Who is this coming from? Uh, it's coming from Elvin Longland. Hey, Mike, I'm still a little nervous about doing a podcast with you and a bit busy being a single father with Halloween right around the corner. Maybe between the holidays, I'll grow a pair and we can set up a time that would work for both of us. Anyway, I had a few thoughts. Yeah, Elvin, you don't have to be afraid. Talk to anybody who's been on the show. And it's far easier than they ever imagined. I'm not going to allow you to look bad. Trust me. I've told other people, and I'll tell you, if it just goes to shit, I'm not going to air it. I'm not going to make you look foolish. I had a little trick when I owned a recording studio. Sometimes I would have people that were non-professional voices having to come in and record something. Maybe I was doing an interview for sports or something like that. And people were always self-conscious about sitting down and talking. They were afraid they were going to do something wrong or say something wrong. And they'd always say, you can edit stuff out, right? I said, sure, I could. I could edit it out. Well, good. That makes me feel better. But I never did edit anything out. Never a thing. There was never a need to. These people were worried unnecessarily. So Elvin goes on, the difference between healthcare in America and everywhere else, hospitals are retail stores. I kind of get what you're saying here, Elvin. I read an article the other day that said Walmart, the world's largest retailer, is getting into healthcare. Imagine what that will be like. Is that healthcare provider we should trust with our lives? 
with the lives of our children. I can see it now. We got a blue light special on appendicitis. Come down to aisle seven. Walmart medical devices would be made in third world countries, right next to where they make the great value toasters that sell for five bucks and quit working after two weeks. You think, screw it, it was only five bucks, so instead of returning it, you throw it away and buy a $10 great value toaster the next time you're in Walmart. I get it. A $5 pacemaker that only lasts two weeks, that might be more problematic. Walmart hospital, Walmart hospital store personnel would like, uh, likely be paid below subsistence wages. Well, of course they would. That's their, their business model. Your heart bypass operation would probably only last three months before you had to go in and get it done again. You would think twice about saying no to the two-year warranty. <laughs> yeah, we got you a pacemaker. Do you want the warranty with it? Well, it's Walmart. Fuck yeah, I want the warranty. Hopefully the auto center will have your new tires installed by the time you get out of the recovery room. We rarely interact directly with the retail purchase of hospital services. We only have a vague notion of what the actual retail cost of hospital services are because we have a middleman, a go-between, that pays for the actual services. We're left with what insurance refuses to pay for. Would it be better if there was a menu on the wall with the prices spelled out like going to a fast food restaurant? I've told you this. I've, you know, I kind of felt that when I was having my... Uh, cataracts done you know they say here's the deal here's your basic cataract um, surgery the basic lens but if you want the special lens or the better lens or whatever fucking lens you can go on this tier and pay more this tier you can pay another more i i don't want my doctor telling me that i don't want him upselling me but that's what fucking happened so elvin you're probably right there is a retail aspect to our medical uh or health care even now even before walmart gets into it he elvin goes on to say in the future will retail health care in america have competition will honda and mcdonald's start their own hospital stores to compete with walmart hospitals will china provide services using slave labor nurses in its chinese-owned american hospital stores now he's being a little sarcastic here but he's maybe not that far off i mean we see this now in regular retail type settings and uh It seems everything, and even now, hospitals are just uh, money-generating machines. Non-insurance-based dental clinics are starting to pop up now. You can sign up for dental subscription services, no insurance needed. Is that what healthcare in America will look like in the future? Would it be better? It would be more direct way of providing healthcare. I'll be honest with you. I've had dental insurance before. None of it's worth a shit. You always end up paying a ton of money. I don't get dental insurance. Imagine police protection and fire protection going to retail subscription insurance-based services. When you call 911, will the dispatcher ask you who your insurance provider is? When the fire department is called, they'll come to your house, but if you don't have insurance, they'll just protect the house houses that do. Capitalism is at the core of American democracy, but lately we've allowed our industries to be sold to foreign-owned companies. I drive a Japanese car. Would I want a foreign-made hip joint or a Russian doctor doing a heart transplant on my mom? I've always thought universal health care would be better than what we have. Am I wrong about that? I don't think you're wrong about that. I mean, one of the problems is... Republicans want to privatize everything, and the problems that are incurred are exactly what you lay out there. Uh, I mean, what you're you're saying, Elvin, is, is kind of exaggerated. I know that's what you're doing, but it's probably not that exaggerated. Everywhere we go, people are trying to grift money off of us. When I go to a doctor, I want him to be first and foremost concerned about my health. But they're not. Let's get that copay up front. 
Let's get that co-pay up front, and then we'll look at you. I've always hated that attitude. I've always hated how they do this. So I'm with you, Alvin. I don't know what that means. I think universal health care would probably be maybe take the retail aspect of it. I mean, if we could have what Canada has, I would uh, I would be happy with that. I know all the Republicans say, well, up in Canada, I got a brother's cousin's best friend who says it took nine months to get a hangnail handled. That's bullshit. I've talked to people in Canada. It's nothing like that at all. This is just the Republicans coming out of their asses with another more bullshit that we're used to hearing, things that don't have any level of truth to them. All right, the next email comes from Paul. Out walking dogs early morning. Had to stop and say excellent show with you and Tony. Firing on all cylinders. You should team up to a single podcast and preach the gospel. I love the cosplay Trump angle because the truth will set you free. Dogs are giving me the hairy eyeball. Keep up the great work. (laughs) Well, I got to tell you, if Tony and I did a podcast together, nobody would get a word in edgewise. As soon as one of us started talking, somebody would have to turn one of the mics off so the other person could stop talking. But I did talk to Tony. He had a good time on the show. He will be on the show again. I don't know how frequently. He's kind of busy. He's doing a two-hour live stream every fucking day. So it may be harder to track him down. But uh, he has a partner, too. His name is Gabe Sanchez. He might even show up on the show. I don't know much about him. I have to find out about him first. But Tony will be back on at some point. Now, here's Michael taking it to another level. Mike, great show and great guest. You... Tony, and Ed need to burn out an episode. Have you ever listened to Trey Crowder? I've never listened to Trey Crowder, at least that that I know of. Maybe I have, but it hasn't imprinted on my mind, but I will check it out. Me, Tony, and Ed. It'd be a good show. I mean, a lot of good input, a lot of good perceptions about what's going on, but that would be a busy motherfucking show. (laughs) <laughs> that that might be hard to direct. Uh, but, you know, I'll offer it up. I'll offer it up to Ed. I'll offer it up to Tony. We'll see what happens. Michael, thank you for the, uh, <clears throat> for the email. I've got one last email here, and it comes from Eric. He says, hi, Mike. I'm either a young Gen X or an old millennial from Iowa. I used to consider myself an independent, but in the last six years or so, I've realized I'm definitely a liberal. I love listening to your podcast and your no-nonsense take on politics. I decided to weigh in on your comment about Chuck Grassley. I think the real reason he's been able to get reelected as many times as he has is because people my age and younger have always had Chuck Grassley in office. The voters my age and younger look around, and if everything seems okay, they're voting for the people in charge. Well, that's typically the case with incumbents. They always have an advantage. Um, In my younger years, I found myself falling for that logic. I think what Chuck Grassley's plan is for this next term, if he gets reelected, is that he's planning to serve six months to a year and then resign and let COVID Kim Reynolds and her re-Trumplican cronies in the state legislature to appoint his replacement. That replacement would be in office for over half the term, and by the next time that seat is up for re-election, most of the voters in the middle would just vote for the incumbent. I would like to be on the show sometime to give a middle-aged look at some of what is going on. Thanks for such a great podcast. Well, thank you, Eric. I appreciate it. You're more than welcome to come on the show. You've got my email address because I just read an email. All you have to do is send me an email and say, Mike, I want to be on the show. I say, cool. What day are you available? What time are you available? Then we work it out. I send you a link for Zoom and we talk for an hour. So anytime you want to. I think you make a good point about Chuck Crassley and any incumbent, especially one that's been in there for fucking 100 years. 
Chuck has been there forever, and if everything is, you know, seemingly fine to Iowa residents, yeah, sure, they'll just vote for him because they don't know who the other guy or gal is that's running against him. Incumbents do have the advantage in all situations, whether they be Republican or Democrat. But Jesus Christ, Eric, this guy's 89 years old. I see what you're saying. Yeah, he could just try be there to win it, and then six months to a year later, not off and not out, <laughs> and they the the governor gets to <clears throat> appoint whoever they want, and they get a young another Republican in there, another Trumplefuck, if you will. That's distinctly possible, but you know what? He's not having the best time. He's used to winning, uh, going away. But that's not happening. The race is very close, and he's losing his shit, and he's begging for money. Uh, we need money. This is this is fucked up. I might lose this race. Send me some money. Chuck Grassley's 89 years old. He has no business holding office. I mean, Jesus Christ, six years ago, he was 83. I still think people should be forced to retire in government <clears throat> once they hit 70. And that's coming from a guy who's 62. 70 years old, old enough. Get the fuck out of there and get some younger people in there. All right. Next up, I want to talk about a gangsta gal, Nancy Pelosi. Now, during an appearance on MSNBC's The Sunday Show, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi took jabs at both Donald Trump and Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene with a California Democrat baiting the former president by claiming he's not man enough to appear before the House Select Committee investigating the insurrection. Now, I talked about this on TikTok, and it's it's awesome. I, I love Nancy Pelosi, but she's 80 years old, too. She should step aside. But since she's there, we need somebody who's tough and savvy as the House Speaker, and she is all of that. So this Jonathan Capehart on MSNBC was interviewing Nancy Pelosi, and he asked her if she thought that he was going to accept the uh, um, the subpoena and actually show up and testify. And Nancy Pelosi said, "Yeah, I doubt it. I don't think he's man enough to show up." <laughs> And uh, it's exactly right. She was baiting him. Donald Trump has an ego the size of fucking Siberia. <clears throat> so when you say he's not man enough, that hits him at the core. He's all about being the tough guy, the alpha dog, the masculine tough guy. That's who he thinks he is. Well, he's not. And... Um, so Donald Trump is listening to this, and this has got to drive him nuts. As I was doing the TikTok, I said, I can just imagine him clutching his pearls with his tiny hands, spitting and sputtering, uh, throwing his Big Mac against the wall. And I said, yeah, I can see the ketchup there now. Somebody came on the post and says, Big Macs don't have ketchup. Shut the fuck up. You know what I meant. By the way, the Big Mac was sitting on the ketchup that is tied to the French fries. That's where the fucking ketchup came from. Jesus. <laughs> People love correcting me, even when it's pointless. As Pelosi explained her belief that Democrats will keep control of the chamber, she ignored Taylor Greene only once referring to her as, what's her name? <laughs> oh, Margie hates Pelosi. Everybody in the Republican Party hates Pelosi. That's really the main reason why I love her. She was asked about the chances that Donald Trump will appear before the committee. Um she laughed at the prospect, and she literally said, I don't think he is man enough to show up. She replied, I don't think that his lawyers will want him to show up because he has to testify under oath. But I don't think he's man enough. We'll see if he's man enough to show up, and the public can make their judgment. She added, no one is above the law. If we believe that, they, they should make a judgment about how he responds to that request. Now, 
the in- interesting thing about this, we hear that Donald Trump is in negotiations. Donald Trump and his lawyers are in negotiations with the January 6th committee about testifying. Now, I don't think he has any intention of testifying. Unless Nancy Pelosi got to him, unless he's so spitting mad that he's going to testify and show everybody how brilliant he is, what a great orator he is. He's so smart he can fix everything by just talking. That's what he thinks in his mind. We know better. We know the moment Donald Trump opens his mouth, he fucks himself over, he implicates himself. So I'm all for seeing him testify. I just don't really think he will. And Nancy Pelosi doesn't think he will either. So that's why she kind of baited him. You know that Nancy Pelosi is anxious to see Donald Trump under oath in front of the J6 committee. She'll be standing in the back saying, yeah, come into my web, you little dumb fuck. I would love to see Nancy Pelosi interrogate him. She would destroy him, and that would make him so mad. A woman, of all things, tearing apart Donald Trump. He wouldn't know what to do with himself if he was put in that situation. Now, here's what I think is going to happen Because he's willing to negotiate, and I've said this before, but I'll say it again because, well, it's my fucking show. Anyway, I think what he'll do is he'll negotiate, ask for some ridiculous shit, and the J6 committee will say, nah, you're not doing that. You're subpoenaed. You don't get to make the rules. You just fucking show up and tell the truth like a normal law-abiding citizen. But he he doesn't want to do that. So he'll make all these asks, and they'll turn them down, and then he'll come out later and says, well, I wanted to testify. I was ready to testify today, but they want these ridiculous criteria for me testifying. What are they trying to hide? Deep state. (laughs) QAnon. Saying all that shit. That's what's going to happen. He's not going to testify. Just no way it's going to happen. And in fact... Liz Cheney made some statements about the prospect of him testifying. And what she said may have some bearing on whether he decides to testify or not. And we're going to talk about that right after the break. So we'll take a break right now and we will be right back. So we go from one gangster woman to another gangster woman. And of course, I'm talking about Republican Representative Liz Cheney. In some respects, I think she's more dangerous than Nancy Pelosi because she's, well, she's the spawn of Satan himself, Dick Cheney, and she's a very tough woman, very tough woman. Republican Representative Liz Cheney, now she's the vice chair of the House Select Committee investigating the insurrection, said the panel would want to avoid a circus if former President Donald Trump complies with the committee's subpoena and testifies. That should rile Donnie Trump a little bit as well. Cheney said in an interview with NBC News on Sunday, she expects Trump will comply with a subpoena from the committee that called on the former president to testify and share select documents with investigators. Cheney said the committee's plans to treat Trump's testimony with great seriousness. She said, we're going to proceed in terms of questioning of the former president under oath. It may take multiple days, and it will be done with the level of rigor and discipline and seriousness that it deserves. Asked about the possibility of Trump testifying publicly, Cheney said, uh, the committee will treat his testimony with great seriousness. She said, Trump's not going to turn this into a circus. Well, that's his specialty. This isn't going to be, you know, his first debate against Joe Biden and the circus and the food fight that became. This is far too serious set of issues. Now, the committee formally sent its subpoena to Trump's attorneys last week after announcing its intentions to do so at its most recent hearing earlier this month. Now, the subpoena orders Trump to turn over documents to the committee by November 4th. 
He's got to turn over documents by November 4th. Uh, let's see, we're eight days from the end, or seven days from the end of the month, plus four more. We're talking 11 days from now. He's got to turn over documents. And then he needs to appear for one or more days of deposition beginning on or about November 14th. So we're about three weeks out from that, and that is after the midterms. Cheney said the committee has many, many alternatives if Trump does not ultimately comply with the committee's subpoena, although she did not elaborate on what those alternatives would be. Can't imagine what they would be. The fact of the matter is they probably have... uh, have all the evidence already with all the witnesses they've talked to. So from what Liz Cheney said, given that she doesn't want it to become a circus and that it could extend over a couple of days, that might preclude uh, preclude them from doing a live show with Donald Trump. It would have to be recorded. Now, that may be the sticking point where Donald Trump says, nope, got to be alive. I don't trust you. (laughs) You'll edit it. You'll make me look bad. And to be honest with you, it would be best to do it live. Because if you can control him and not allow him to make it a circus, you know the moment you show the video and something bad comes out against Donald Trump. He won't even realize it's bad until it plays and people respond to it. But once it comes out and it's bad, he'll just say it's a hoax. Play the whole tape. You didn't play the whole tape. They're making me look bad. We need to get rid of any question about what he said. So as much as they don't want it to become a circus, if you are in fact going to interview Donald Trump, it is probably best to do it live because then there's going to be no claim of foul or whatever. I mean, he still will try to do it, but it's live. You can't uh, you can't fix the tapes if you're doing it live. I still say I don't think he's going to testify. It makes no sense that he would testify. He could get referred to the DOJ for noncompliance with the subpoena, and they technically could indict him for that. I just don't think they will. There's too many other things that they're looking at him for. They're not going to indict him for not showing up for a subpoena, especially when they don't expect him to show up for the subpoena. So we'll see what happens, but I'm not real concerned of whether or not he does. I mean, the fact of the matter is that they probably have all the evidence. They have all the witnesses they need. The idea of subpoena, sending a subpoena to Donald Trump, as I've said before, is more fucking with his head, fucking with his head and trying to kind to uh, zing him or poke him, just get him going. Nancy Pelosi shows us that by saying uh, he isn't man enough. That might encourage him to talk. But see, the thing about it is he's always said every time it comes to testify, sure, I'd be happy to testify. But when it came down to it, he never did testify. You know it's going to be a disaster if he testifies under oath. This man can't help himself. He lies when he, even, when he doesn't even know he's fucking lying. He believes his own shit. So there really makes no sense for him to testify if you look at this logically. Now, Donald Trump will not look at it logically. However, his lawyers always do. They know it's trouble if Donald Trump testifies under oath. Now, he had to do it recently. Uh, with the attorney general in New York. They claim he didn't plead the fifth. And actually, if he would have pled the, 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 the fifth in a civil court, that would have worked against him. So I'm, I'm, I'm presuming that uh, he, didn't, he didn't plead the fifth, but he probably wasn't too forthcoming either. But we'll see. I'm not counting on him testifying. But we'll find out in the next three weeks, we'll find out in the next 11 days whether he's willing to comply by providing documents. I mean, he's stealing fucking documents. He thinks he owns these documents. To this day, he's saying, I want my documents back. They're mine. 
You can't even comprehend what these documents are and who truly owns them, that being the U.S. government. He doesn't get it. He just doesn't understand. So the idea that he's going to turn over some documents on the 4th of November, probably not going to happen. The idea that he might sit for testimony on November 14th or thereabouts, I just don't see it happening. It's going to be interesting, though, because the midterm elections are November 8th. He's got to provide the documents before the midterm elections, but he doesn't have to testify till after the midterm elections. Now, if the midterms go south for the Republicans, and I really believe they do, he's definitely not testifying. He's going to be screaming too much about election fraud and all that stuff, and all the Republicans are going to do the same thing. That midterm election is going to change the paradigm on everything that's going on. Now, if the Republicans win the House and the Democrats hold on to the Senate, people are going to be freaking out. There's going to be bigger issues that people are worried about other than Donald Trump um, testifying. And as I've said before, you know, after the midterms, that's when I expect to see indictments. I mean, it could come as quickly as the 9th of November. Maybe not Donald Trump, but people around Donald Trump. Those indictments could start right away. They're holding back until after the election because they don't want to give the impression that they're trying to impact the election. That's just kind of an unwritten rule that Merrick Garland will stick by. And even Fannie Willis down in Georgia is kind of laid back till after the election. But once that election is over, all hell is going to break loose, to coin a phrase from Steve Bannon. And it's because they've got nothing to worry about anymore. Everything everybody does that are politicians is all based on how will it affect the midterms, the Republicans and the Democrats alike. Once that is done and behind us, regardless of how it goes down, then shit's going to start falling in place. You're going to see the indictments. You're going to see more information out there. So answer me this. Let's say We have a miracle happen. On November 4th, he provides whatever documents they ask for. Don't think that's going to happen. Okay. If the Republicans win the House, then maybe Donald Trump testifies. Maybe. Because he wants to gloat about his people taking over the House of Representatives. But if they lose the House of Representatives and lose the Senate, Donnie Trump's going to be too busy spewing shit about everything else, and he's going to be scared shitless. His one chance to maybe slip through this thing is kind of beholden to whether the Republicans can gain some power again. If they get no power, Donnie Trump knows he's fucked, and he's fucked big time. Do you really think he's going to send for a testimony? No, he's not going to do that. Just no fucking way he's doing it. Um, This is just theatrics, honestly. This is theatrics by the January 6th committee, and uh, it's probably not a bad idea. Mess with Donald Trump. Get him uh, thinking something other than what he's trying to do in terms of taking down this country and spreading lies. He is now going to be in survival mode. And unfortunately, with narcissists, when they're in survival mode, their strategies don't work. Nobody's buying their bullshit. They start flailing and they start getting crazy. You think what you heard from Donald Trump has been crazy up to now? Oh, that ain't nothing. That ain't nothing. It's going to get worse, especially if the Democrats win in the midterms. Trust me on this. Donald Trump is not going to be compliant with fucking anything, and he's going to be screaming his head off because he knows jail isn't that far off. So as I've said all along, everything is kind of contingent on these midterms, and the midterms are getting closer. We got the media telling us, well, the Republicans could do this. Tony Michaels said something that I agree with on the previous podcast, and he says, I honestly believe I'm going to go to bed and wake up in the morning and not only have the Democrats winning, but we're going to see them winning races 
that we never expected them to win, like, say, a Grassley or, or Tim Ryan or something like that. And he and I are on the same, same plate here. These polls, you can only take them for what they're worth. As I've said before, in 2016, every poll said that Hillary Clinton would beat Donald Trump, but they were wrong. There were many polls around 2020 that said Donald Trump will beat Joe Biden, but he didn't. Many polls that said we would not get Democratic senators in Georgia, but we did. Where the polls don't figure is about turnout. If there's a big turnout, it's going to benefit the Democrats. And we don't know if there's going to be a big turnout for sure, but I'm thinking we will. People are just as scared now as they were going into the 2020 election. They thought if Donald Trump continued in office, we were fucked, and they were right. And now they know that going into the midterms, if the Republicans get any kind of control back, we're fucked. It's not just Democrats thinking like this. It's Republicans. It's the normal-minded Republicans, the independents. They aren't going to get behind Donald Trump. It's just too crazy. It's just too criminal right now. So they aren't going to do that. And I think Tony is right that we're going to wake up on the 9th of November and go, holy fuck, that went better than we thought. I could be wrong, but I have no reason to think that's wrong. Everything that we've seen, every bit of logic and common sense tells us it's going to be a blue wave. There is nothing a Republican has ever told me that makes me think they've gained votes from 2020. The only thing they've done is lost votes by overturning Roe v. Wade, telling us we're going to get rid of Medicare and Social Security. (laughs) It's not just Democrats that are for this. It's Republicans, too. And if he starts losing Republicans, if the Republican base doesn't get Republican votes, it doesn't take too many Republicans to switch sides or not vote to change everything for the Republicans and uh, take away any chances of them winning. Now, at the start of the show, I said uh, this is going to be another rough week for Donald Trump, and it is. Because, you know, while we're waiting for indictments, there was an indictment set out, a couple of indictments set out long ago. And now we're finally getting set for the trial. The trial starts today. Jury selection starts today. What am I talking about? Let's pop back up to the Manhattan District. You remember what happened there. The Trump Organization was indicted. The CFO of the Trump Organization was indicted, Alan Weisselberg. He's the guy that signed all the paper, did all the work for Donald Trump. So Alan Weisselberg finally did plead out. He cut a deal. Now, he said, the only way I'm going to do this deal is I'm not going to testify against Donald Trump. I'm going to only testify against the company, which is just a dumb way to try to fool Donald Trump. The Trump organization is not a big organization. If you're testifying against the company, you're testifying against the guy who has his hands on everything and makes every decision, that being Donald Trump. So technically, he's not testifying against Donald Trump, but he is. Because anything he testifies with the uh, against the company with is going to reflect and be tied into Donald Trump. And if you don't think they have evidence that's going to prove the connection, you're, you're mistaken. Now, the thing about it is Alan Weisselberg's in a tight spot because he could go in there and plead the fifth or not tell the truth, but he's not going to do that because the deal he cut was he has to go into that trial and tell the truth and answer the questions. And if he does not, instead of the, what, six or seven months he's going to get to be in jail, 
it's going to be 15 years. He's not in a position of lying. He has no way out of this. So that trial starts today. Now, keep in mind, Alan Weisselberg worked with Trump Organization since 1973. He worked with Donald Trump's dad. It's almost certain to be called. He's almost certain to be called to testify about the inner workings of Trump's business. Jury selection in the trial begins today in New York State Supreme Court in Manhattan. Trump is not personally charged in the case, <clears throat> but if the company gets convicted, which it most certainly will, the fucking company's gone. And if that doesn't end it for the company. We've got Letitia James, the attorney general, suing him for $250 million. The Trump organization will no longer exist a year from now. And Donald Trump will have to find other ways to grift. And, you know, of course, he's done that, holding his fucked up little rallies and putting up these websites and stealing money from his people. But it won't be the same if Letitia James has her druthers. He will not be able to be an executive or, or um, officer in any company in New York, and neither will Eric or Ivanka or um, Donnie Jr. So that's fucked when it comes to them trying to do business in New York. <clears throat> but again, this criminal trial is going to potentially shut down the Trump organization. <clears throat> Excuse me, and it may implicate Donald Trump because all the evidence that comes out in this trial, then Elvin Bragg, the DA for the Manhattan District, is going to have to say, well, fuck, I guess I didn't realize that. Now we've got to indict Donald Trump. And that could still very clearly possibly happen. So Weisselberg pleaded guilty in August to 15 charges related to his role in the Trump Organization. 15 charges, including conspiring with the company. He was sentenced to a maximum of five months in prison and fined $2 million. Now, as I say, Weisselberg refused to agree to disclose any details specifically about Trump as part of the plea deal. But Weisselberg did agree to testify about Trump's company in exchange for the truncated jail term he faced up to 15 years. He cut a deal. If he doesn't comply with that deal... It goes from five months to 15 years. What do you think he's going to do with that? Now, the case against the Trump Organization and its subsidiary, Trump Payroll Corporation, brought by Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, argues that the company allegedly engaged in a 15-year scheme to dodge taxes by largely paying executives with undeclared perks, such as homes and cars, allowing them to underreport compensation. And we know that uh, Alan Weisselberg got a house, maybe a couple houses and a car. Of course, Trump has pled not guilty. Um, Barbara McQuaid, a former federal prosecutor, said the world is about to see just how the Trump organization ran its business. She said, this is a significant case. The criminal charges are against Trump's corporation, which is a small private company, but Donald Trump is the Trump organization. And she's right. Donald Trump is not mentioned in name other than the name on his company, but it's all going to impact Donald Trump. Somebody had to commit these crimes. You can't say the company committed the crimes. A human has to commit the crimes. So they are going to, well, they have indicted the uh, Trump organization. They will convict the Trump organization. And in turn, that shit will fall all over Donald Trump. And talking about shit falling on Donald Trump. Washington Post reporter Bob Woodward, he's published several books on Donald Trump. And each time he records the conversations, the recordings are valuable for anyone who interviews Trump as he tends to claim after the fact that things are fake news or that people are lying. So recordings can help in defense of any reporter forced to face off against Trump. Now, 
there are like 20 interviews with Donald Trump that he has on audio tape. Now, in the case of Woodward, Trump attacked his book Rage as very boring after claiming he read the nearly 400-page book in one sitting. He didn't read two pages. He heard from his friends that actually did read the book, and he responded to that. Trump also explained why he spoke to the Watergate reporter. Well, because I assumed he was a little bit fair. Well, he is fair. Now, regarding the book, Trump has called it inaccurate. Well, of course he has. Uh, In his new piece for the Washington Post, Woodward explained that he never reveals raw interviews or full transcripts of his recording. With Trump, he explained it was different. I was struck by how Trump pounded in my ears in a way the printed page cannot capture, Woodward wrote. In their totality, these interviews offer an unvarnished portrait of Trump. You hear Trump in his own words and his own voice during one of the most consequential years in American history, amid Trump's first impeachment, the coronavirus pandemic, and large racial justice protests. Now, of course, Trump's come out against the tapes, saying that they belong to him, not to Woodward, and certainly should not have been published. (laughs) They're Donald Trump's tapes. Well, I think Woodward conducted the interview, and I think Woodward used his own recorder, so I beg to differ, Donnie. Trump did not make the recordings, and he never had possession of them. But like the classified documents he stole from the White House, everything is Donald Trump's. He owns it all. Now, in a review of the tapes by NPR, Ron Elving explained that the tapes are also revealing about Woodward. It's clear that Trump is desperately trying to curry favor with the reporter. And why wouldn't he be? Bob Woodward's a famous reporter, tied to Watergate and all that stuff. Donald Trump loves famous people. And he wants to be buddies with these famous people. He wants them on his side. And he's dumb enough to think that he's so articulate and so smart that he can sway these people to his side. Well, it didn't work with Bob Woodward. Now, each time Trump tries to claim that he has the pandemic under control, Woodward comes back with notes from nearly everyone else who had been in the room, all saying that at least four or five others, including Dr. Anthony Fauci, the government's leading epidemiologist, called for that same shutdown at the same meeting. Trump denies this again and again, insisting he was all alone and bringing it up regularly as though Woodward had never heard it before. Now, according to Woodward, the words on the page can seem flat, but in Trump's voice comes off as sometimes different. Here's the thing. (laughs) Woodward was with the Watergate situation. And what's the one thing that brought Richard Nixon down? The Nixon tapes in the White House. Now, this is a much different deal. But Donald Trump makes a lot of claims and he lies a lot. These tapes are now being published and anybody can hear them. You're going to hear bits and pieces of this crop up in news reports all over the world. Donald Trump will be exposed for the lying, boisterous piece of shit that he is. These tapes will not make him look good. His own ego put him in this situation. He thought Bob Woodward was impressive. So, I mean... He was calling Bob Woodward time after time after time. He was asking for it. And Bob Woodward would always say, now, you know, I'm recording this. He goes, yeah, 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 we're good. And then he spews this ridiculous shit. See, this is what I've said about Donald Trump before. Just give him a chance. He'll fuck himself up. He'll expose himself. He'll implicate himself. And these tapes will have an interesting effect. It'll obviously be a big seller for Bob Woodward. He'll make a lot of money. But these tapes are extremely valuable to like, oh, I don't know, the DOJ. When the DOJ is looking to indict him for any number of things, they need to know what he was thinking, what his intent was. And guess what? 
It's all on those fucking tapes. That dumb son of a bitch is exposed himself once again. He's fucked up once again. It's going to be entertaining listening to those tapes. It's going to be entertaining if he decides to testify in front of the J6 committee. But if he doesn't testify in front of the J6 committee, don't worry about it. Because ultimately the DOJ will come knocking at his door and say, you need to testify. And then he has no options. He has zero options. He will have to testify. And he may very well plead the fifth in those cases because he may find out that he's a target. And then it's a matter of being indicted and then going to trial. Now, people say, well, if he goes to trial, just plead the fifth. Don't worry about that. As I've said before, in most criminal cases, the defendant rarely testifies because it's never a good idea for the defendant to testify. It just exposes them to questioning by the prosecution and getting pigeonholed and made to look like a fool. Donald Trump would certainly be in that position. So even if Donald Trump goes to trial, I think it's highly unlikely that he would testify. So if he doesn't testify in front of the J6 committee, I wouldn't worry about it. There's plenty of evidence, plenty of witnesses. He will go to trial and he will lose. In terms of these tapes, he knew exactly what he's doing, but he talked unfettered as if it wasn't being recorded. So a lot will be exposed from these recordings. A lot will be learned from these recordings. Not only the general public, but the DOJ. And the DOJ, I promise you, will be listening intently. They want to know what Donald Trump was thinking, what he was saying, and ultimately what he did. And this dumb motherfucker laid out a roadmap, a perfect roadmap, with his voice on it. Kind of reminiscent of Georgia, isn't it? Donald Trump calls up Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State of Georgia, commits a crime on audio tape. I just need 11,780 votes. Now, Fonnie Willis is going to kick things back up into action right after the midterms. And you think Donnie's going to get an indictment? Well, he committed a crime on tape. And that wasn't enough. Now he's got to do all these interviews with uh, Bob Woodward because he's impressed by Bob Woodward. And he's going to implicate himself. People always say, do you think he'll be indicted? How can he help not be indicted? With all the things he's done, the most egregious shit any human could do, let alone a former president, of course he's going to be indicted. At best, he's, at worst case, he'll get one indictment. At best case, he could be indicted four or five times, maybe more. But as I've always said, we only need him to get indicted one time. We only need one. That will shut him down completely. Take him out of the narrative. Take him out of the equation. But once he gets that first indictment, Watch the avalanche. As I've said before, people are scared to be the first person to indict a former president. That's a touchy situation, even in Donald Trump's case. But when the first one does it, there'll be more coming right after that. I guarantee you, there'll be more coming right after that. So be watching for that. And if you get a chance... Uh, pick up bits and pieces and listen to those tapes that Bob Woodward recorded. They're going to tell you a lot. It's going to be entertaining, and uh, it'll be interesting, no question. And Donald Trump will once again look like a motherfucking fool like he always does. Now, we've got the midterms coming up in about three weeks or thereabouts. Eh, two and a half weeks, something like that. And I know people are very worried out there. They're absolutely concerned. If the Republicans get in, we lose democracy. And when I look at the media and they say, well, this could happen, that could happen, and everybody nervous. One thing I learned about when I was very young, it's a lesson I learned that we should all learn. And that is, don't agonize, don't worry about things you can't control. We've done all we can, 
on social media and in the media to get the information out there. When we get to November 8th and the election starts, um, there's not much we can do at that point. So there's no point in worrying or getting anxious about it. Just wait, see what happens. And then after you know for sure what happens, then you can react. Democracy won't go away instantaneously if the Republicans get back the House. What we have to do at that point, instead of worrying about what might be, we have to set up a new strategy should the Republicans win the House. There will be another strategy, and there will be other things that we can do. Remember, Joe Biden is still in office until 2024. So as you're sitting waiting for the midterms, don't get excited. Don't get upset. We can only control what we control. Instead of worrying about what might happen, wait till something happens and then decide what you need to do. You're going to be more effective and you're not going to have to be biting your nails for the next two and a half weeks. It does no good. You shouldn't put yourself through that. Do the best you can and wait and see what happens. Then after the fact, you can make some decisions at that point. All right, we are going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen. We'll be back tomorrow, and I hope you have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.